Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. We're so grateful that you found us. The JCBC Podcast is a collection of sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. Right now, we're in a new series. It's called How to Be Human. We hope if you're in town or close by, you'll stop in and join us 11 o'clock Sunday mornings. Until then, subscribe and follow along. Well, grace and peace be with all of us gathered here in worship today. I want to encourage you to please take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. In just a few moments, we're going to jump headlong into 2 Timothy chapter 1, and it's going to be, oh, I don't know, somewhere around verse 6 or so. We'll find our way in just a moment. As we do, though, I want to remind you where we've been. Throughout this entire series called How to Be Human, we've attempted to look at every kind of experience. I mean, specific experiences in the humanness that we share. But through a particular lens, through the lens of the truly human one, the Son of Man, Jesus, who came to show us the way and the truth, and the life. And so along the way, we've talked about what it means to experience failure, and the power and the, the paradox of failure as a strength. We've talked about vulnerability, about what it means to reveal, become transparent in heart and mind to one another and to God. We've talked about what it means to be on top and winning and succeeding and what it means to have fallen on our faces and and need instructions on how to start over. We talked about getting unstuck. We've talked about being up and being down and everything in between. And today, I want to talk about another experience of our humanness that every single one of us knows. I want to talk a little bit about fear. Fear. Because everyone can be afraid of something sometime. And sometimes we can name those fears, point to them, diagnose them, even clinically treat them or with some help find a way out of them. We have some fears that we know by name, these phobias. And I, in research for this sermon, I, I did some digging around on some of the most common and uncommonly known Phobias. Do you know that the, we'll just have a little pop quiz here, see if you know some of these. Do you know what the number one phobia among all people is? Yeah, yeah, glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. Clearly not all of us (laughs) suffer from said fear. But do you know what the second greatest phobia of all people is? It's called necrophilia. Do you know what that is? Or necrophobia. Do you know what that is? Necrophilia is something completely different. That's a whole other sermon. Oh, golly. Necrophobia. Oh, let's rise for the benediction, please. I am done. I am done. All right. Necrophobia is the fear, the fear of dying. But what's interesting is... It comes second after public speaking. 
which is what led Jerry Seinfeld one day to say, let's not miss this observation. People are more afraid of speaking than dying. That means when you go to a funeral, more people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> right? Now, I don't need to have to give you the name of this next phobia. I just have to show you a clip of it. Yeah, yeah. What's it called? Arachnophobia. That's right. Uh, there, there is another phobia. I want to talk about a couple of these. Do you know what homilophobia is? Homilophobia. The fear of sermons. <laughs> yeah. Which would make homilongophobia the fear of long sermons, right? Do you know what homilavidophobia is? The fear of sermons from the book of Leviticus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kidding. No, that's not real. That's not real. All right, so this next one, a couple of more that you know. Okay, so you know that one. You know closed spaces is called claustrophobia. The opposite, open spaces, would be called agoraphobia, right? The fear of open spaces. Now, I've told you before that your pastor does not like heights. Sometimes I barely like standing up, right? <laughs> So imagine what it does to me to see this clip of a free runner in Dubai on top of a hotel jumping, watch, from column, here we go, woo, to column, tethered to nothing. Yeah, the fear of heights is acrophobia. You know what another name for that is, by the way? Crazy. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh, by the way, for this one, I have to put it on the screen so I can read it. Do you know what? Uh, Hippotamus, wait, hang on. Hippopotamonstrosiquipataliophobia is? The fear of long words. Some of us are afraid of flying. That's aerophobia. But my question to you is, do you know what myctophobia is? The fear of darkness. Yeah. Some fears can be named, and some fears, can we just admit, are okay. Some fears are good. It's a little bit of fear that keeps you looking both ways before you cross the street. A little bit of good fear is what makes you make sure that you get up from bed and go downstairs and did I lock the doors tonight? You know. A little bit of good fear is what makes you get up in the middle of the night to make sure that the baby is still okay. Some fears are okay, but there are some fears that are no laughing matter. There are some fears that I want to talk about today that they reside just beneath the surface, and we carry them with us everywhere we go. Fears that if they go unnamed, unidentified, or even unexamined, these fears can, well, they can strangle us. They can get us stuck. These fears can actually rob us of the very life that Jesus said he came to provide when he said, I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest and yet unaddressed some of the fears that we experience and carry around with us like, like a second set of clothing are the very things that, that can rob us of life. I wonder if we could talk for just a little while about some of those fears.
Now, in this room and in the other room, on campus, and maybe even watching, I wonder if you'd let me just identify a few of the fears that we brought to church. There are some among us whose deepest fear is the fear of being abandoned, thrown away, rejected, unwanted. And you know what that does to that person? It creates a tendency to behave in a way that latches on so tightly that they won't let go. There are some whose fear of failure is so great that they will work harder and longer hours to make sure to win or succeed at something because if I don't win and if I don't succeed, I will be thrown away and not loved and not accepted and not valued. And some of the fears we carry with us, like, like the fear some of us have of FOMO, I'm not talking about like just a light case of FOMO, fear of missing out. I'm talking about there are some who walk around with such a deep sense of fear that they are missing the thing, the event, the company, or or maybe even worse, some of us carry around a fear that we're actually missing something in here. And and then it causes us to behave in a way that says, look at me, look, look, I am different. I'm a little special. I'm unique. And you know people in your family who attempt to make sure that you see them, right? And there are some who fear being smothered. There's not enough time or space or enough of me to go around, so I naturally have to kind of put an arm's distance between me and everyone and everything else. And so this fear of being smothered creates a kind of distancing between you and people. And there are some who fear everything, That there is really no place safe in the world and everything is a little bit suspicious. And and because the world is not a safe place to be, then that, that means I rarely, if ever, take a risk or step out in faith to attempt anything new or unfamiliar. And there are some who are driven by a fear that keeps them from getting in touch with their own pain. Do you have anybody in your family who refuses to ever talk about the thing that happened. And, and it's out there. It's just right in front of them. But then instead, instead they, they, they just talk about light things and, and not let you go there because of a fear of what happens if we actually sink down into that place. And there are some who, who fear losing control. And there are some among us who, who are so afraid of losing control in life that we'll, we'll just kind of bulldoze over everyone in the room. And we do things and say things that we end up later having to kind of eat some crow and apologize for, but it's fear. And there are some who are so afraid of, well, of being isolated that they they blend and merge their own opinions, wants, desires, and hopes with the wants, desires, and opinions, and hopes of everyone else around them to the extent that they rarely ever actually show up. And there are some some of my dearest friends who I love in this world who, whose biggest fear is being wrong. The fear of making a mistake. And then, and then when I make the mistake, there are these voices that keep reminding me, you could have done this other thing. You should have said the other word. You, you would have, if I were you, I would have. And are haunted by this fear that keeps us crippled. And the trouble is all of our fears, no matter these and many more, all of the fears that, that we carry around with us and within us, they, 
They serve to rob us of the very life Jesus came to provide for us. Now, you know, the theme of this How to Be Human series is John 10.10. I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. But that's really the tail end of a full verse. The first part of the verse, the whole thing together reads this way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. In this situation, the thief I'm talking about is the thief of your fear. What do you fear that is robbing you, killing you, destroying the life? I love the second part of that verse. I came that they might have life. The implication I hear is they might have life. They might not. If they allow fear to dominate every realm of their being. Yeah. And one of the greater fears that we have on top of all these fears is kind of a fear about fear. It's the fear that we somehow don't have what it takes to deal with our fear. That I know I'm stuck. I know I get stuck routinely in the same mud every time, but I don't know how to get out of it. So I'm afraid of being afraid again. And I want to say to you today, my sisters and brothers, Everything that you will ever need to overcome your greatest fear, you already have. Everything that you need to overcome your greatest fear, you already have. So in 1970, for those of you who were alive then, you're welcome. You'll remember the Apollo 13 space mission experienced an explosion on board. And if you weren't alive to remember it happening at the time, you know of it because of the great film by the same name about that event. And this explosion destroyed the part of the ship that was able to cleanse the air. It destroyed the the air filtration system that scrubbed the air so that the air was clean, that they breathed, and they were being slowly poisoned. They were running out of air, and soon they would run out of all oxygen. And they had to repair the situation, but from afar. And they had to use whatever they had on board. I want you to take 60 seconds and watch what happened with what they found already on board. Take a look. Gene, we have a situation brewing with the carbon dioxide. We had a CO2 filter problem on the lunar module. Five filters on the limb, which were meant for two guys for a day and a half. So I told the doctor. They're already up to eight on the gauges. Anything over 15, and you get impaired judgment, blackouts, the beginnings of brain asphyxia. What about the scrubbers on the command module? They take square cartridges. The ones on the limb are round. <laughs> Tell me this isn't a government operation. It just isn't a contingency we've remotely looked at. Those CO2 levels are going to be getting toxic. Well, I suggest you gentlemen invent a way to put a square peg in a round hole. Rapidly. Okay, people, listen up. People upstairs handed us this one, and we got to come through. We got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this using nothing but that. All right. I don't know if you heard the last line there. Somebody better make some coffee. It's fascinating to me to think about that scene and that moment that's depicted in that scene. 
of having to overcome a great fear, a great problem, using only what is on board. And I'm saying to you that if you are crippled by some kind of fear today, the good news of Jesus Christ is that you already have within you, on board, everything that you need to overcome it. And the best evidence is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, where we are hearing Paul address a young minister who is weary and is considering giving up, throwing in the towel. The persecutions are on the rise. He is exhausted. And the old Paul speaks to the young Timothy these words. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. I love this passage, this reminder, because now what we just read a moment ago was, I I, I remind you to rekindle the gift. That's the word that's used. But another translation that I prefer in this particular situation uh, translates the text this way. I urge you to fan into flame the gift of God that is already in you. See, you fan something into flame when, when a spark of a thing is already within you. And already within Timothy was the spark of faith that simply needed to be fanned into a greater flame. It amazes me how many of us walk through our lives assuming that we don't have what it takes to live a life of fullness and abundance, a life of freedom, a life of faith. Because we assume that faith is something out there that we got to go grab, like we got to kind of somehow acquire something that we don't have. But I'm here to tell you that with all things in faith, Faith is not about acquiring something that you don't have. It's about accessing something that you've already been given. Faith is not about acquiring something that you don't have. It's about accessing something that God has already given you. He said, I I didn't give you a spirit of fear. The word there means temperament or disposition or or composure. I didn't give you a a composed, a disposition of fear. You say, well, if that's the case, why am I walking around with all this fear? Why am I wearing in my body the, the, the enfleshed the, the, the weight, the visceral experience of my fear every day? Why am I carrying it around if God didn't give it to me? Well, we carry a lot of things around that God didn't give to us. I mean, we pick up all kinds of stuff along the way in protection, in defense, in survival. We pick up masks that we wear. We put on skins that we think will somehow project a better version of us in the world. All the while, it's not a version of us that God intended. God has put within us a thing that if we just fan it into flame, it would erupt into a great blaze of faith. I did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now that's the trifecta I want us to think about. In you right now, whether it feels like it or not, you have been given through the gift of Christ power, love, and a sound mind. First, power. 
Now, the power that we're talking about here is the word dunamis, which is uh, clearly is translated strength or power or resurrection power. It's the word that's used to describe the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's the kind of power that God used to raise him from the grave. Dunamis, resurrection power in you right now is a kind of power that gets up after having died. And though it's spoken of in a different way, it's the same power, dunamis, that was experienced in the moment of creation when God kneels down into the mud and forms a mud man out of his creation and then nostril to nostril breathes into that mud man the breath of life and it animates and becomes alive and moves around, becomes a living soul and gets unstuck from the mud. See, the dunamis power of God that you already have in you because of the resurrection is the kind of power that gets you unstuck from your fears. And it's the same kind of dunamis power that is seen at the the banks of the Red Sea where the Israelites are there and they can go no further because they cannot cross the sea. And behind them, there is pressing in the threat of the armies of Pharaoh. Have you ever been in a situation where you have to make a choice between two bad options? And yet the dunamis power of God sent the nefesh, the breath, the spirit, the wind of God to separate the waters and they walked through and found a way where there was no way. You have in you right now, says the word of the Lord, a kind of power that will make a way for you when you know that your fear is telling you there is no way. It's the same dunamis power that takes this unarmed, ill-equipped shepherd boy who has only a sling and five smooth stones, and he slays a giant because when he comes up on that camp, he sees the armies of the living God trembling in fear. And yet he has this dunamis power that overcomes and conquers the giant, not because David was powerful, but because within David, there was a power that didn't belong to David that was on loan from the giver of that power. It's the same power that Paul is talking about when when Paul says, this is why we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made known that this extraordinary power comes from God and does not come from us. It's the dunamis of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the dunamis of God that empowered the, the frightened disciples at Pentecost. And it's the dunamis power of God, nothing more or less or other than the power of God that is in you right now, contrary to how it may feel this morning. He says, I did not, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power. That means you can stand face to face with whatever fear it is that you have. And even if your worst fear is realized, it will not end you. Because this is a power that lifts up even the dead from graves. But it's not just that you've been given power. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love. Yeah, power and love. William Mitchell was a sergeant in the Second World War. He, he fought not only at Guadalcanal, but also Okinawa, where he sustained a serious injury and was put in a hospital to recover. During the night, he heard that his unit was going to make an amphibious assault 
over enemy lines. Injured as he was, he escaped the hospital. He rejoined his unit, went AWOL, went against orders to join his unit and fought and sustained even greater woundedness that he carried with him the rest of his life. When he was asked why he did such a foolish thing to go back into the line of battle after he had clearly a reason to mend in the hospital, everyone would understand you had, above, you had already earned a purple heart. Why didn't you just take that as your, as your ticket home? And he says, easy. The answer is love. He thought about his brothers and the love that swelled within him overcame the fear of re-entering battle. See, when you encounter or when you access the divine love of God, which is already available to you, when you access that kind of Christly love, it empowers you to do things that no fear in the universe can undo. This is how we read about it in 1 John chapter 4. We hear these words. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And that's the kind of love that has already been poured out for you and in you in the beloved. It was Machiavelli, I think, who said that men are driven by two principal impulses, either by love or by fear. And I know you're thinking, no, there are a couple other impulses too that drive men. But people are driven by two major impulses. It's either going to be love or fear. Which is it for you? I mean, who among us wouldn't say, oh, love, of course. That's why I'm doing everything. Do you parent the way you parent because of love? Yeah, of course I do. Or is it possible that in some situations... You helicopter and do the thing that we all do at some point or another. We love because really it's fear masquerading as love. Do you love your spouse the way you love your spouse out of love or is it out of fear masquerading as love? See, the difference between love and fear is sometimes hard to detect, but you know we were given a clue The Apostle Paul in the 13th chapter tells us that love, if you want to know if I'm being driven by love or by fear, it looks like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But fear is the opposite of all those things. Fear is impatient and impulsive. Fear, well, it's unkind. It's envious. It's defensive. 
It's arrogant. It's bold. It's rude. Fear is irritable. It, it does not rejoice in truth, but rejoices when things go wrong. That's fear acting out. Fear. Yeah, fear, it, it bears all things, says love, but fear crumbles at the first sign of threat. Fear holds on too tightly and fear quits too soon. What is it that drives you? Because Paul says that if you are standing in front of your greatest fear, you have access not only to a resurrection power in you, but a love, a love that can overcome any fear. And not only are we given power and love, but we're given a sound mind. Yeah, that may be my favorite. Isn't the sound of that phrase even comforting? That it's possible to have a sound mind when inside your mind is pulled and tugged and drawn in quarters in all different directions, that it's possible in the midst of fear to still have a sound mind. The word in Greek, I love, in some translations it says self-discipline. The word is uh, sophronismos, and it means self-control or self-discipline, but it's made up of a root word, saffron. And saffron is made up of a couple of other smaller words, sous meaning sound or stable, sturdy, steady, and fren, which I love, an inner outlook which regulates outward behavior. So Paul crams all that together in one word, and this is what it means right here. It means it is a sound and stable inner outlook which regulates your outward behavior. That is what you have access to if you could learn to access it in Christ. A sound and stable inner attitude or outlook that stabilizes and regulates all of your outward behavior as opposed to frenetically behaving in response to your fear. See, all of us have an inner outlook that regulates our outer behavior, but most of the time it's just really bad. It just stinks. Because a lot of times our inner outlook that regulates the outer behavior is an outlook based in fear and, 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 and catastrophizing. You know what catastrophizing is? Is to imagine the worst possible outcome of a thing and then assume that it's already happened when it's not already happened yet. And that's what it, that's what it, it means to have an inner outlook based in fear because you know what that takes? That takes faith. It takes faith to catastrophize. It means you are putting your faith in something that has not yet come, but you're assuming it's going to be the worst outcome, and so I believe with my whole heart that it's going to be that way, and so I wring my hands, and I'm a toxic warrior throughout the rest of my days. That's why I love the acronym FEAR that I picked up a long time ago. FEAR is simply false evidence appearing real, but yet we see this false evidence and assume that it's real, and it, it cripples us. It, it, it robs us of life. Do you know that it's possible in the midst of the crippling fear that you have, it's possible to be in the company of fear and yet maintain an inner outlook that regulates your outer behavior. I want to I show you what that looks like. And I know that the hour is upon us, but I promise you this is going to be worth it. There's a man by the name of Jason Wilson, and he runs a ministry in Detroit. His effort is to raise boys into becoming confident, strong, capable, young black men who are able to identify the places where they, they are emotional, the places where they are distressed, and how to 
organize and harness that aggression and be able at the same time to tap into the lion that is in them and the lamb and to know the difference. And he does it through what is called um, the cave of Adula. The cave of Adula is where King David hid out from King Solomon, right? And he, he gathered with 400 uh, men of valor, men of war, and became the, the thing that they needed to become. So he, he does this through martial arts. And these young boys come under his training and tutelage and his mentorship. And this one little boy, I caught a glimpse of this clip, and I can't stop watching. And this one little boy is struggling. He's grappling with his master, with his teacher. He's grappling, grappling, and then he gets scared, and he gets afraid, and he's, he's crying, and he says, I'm hurt. He says, are you hurt? Where are you hurt? And I'm just, and he finally confesses, I'm, I'm, no, I'm nervous. And he says, okay, because there's a difference. And he makes him continue fighting while saying out loud, I'm nervous. Yes, I am nervous. Just take a look. to grapple with the thing that you fear most in your life and just look it in the eye and say, yeah, I'm nervous, but I'm fighting. I'm nervous, but I have an inner outlook that modifies and regulates my outer behavior. And for you and me, that truth is that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And what is that thing that is in you that is greater than what is in the world? It is the Christ of God, the hope of glory. Despite what it is that you are afraid of today, and whether you can even name it or not, you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 